Left off the book of Matthew uh, with some of Jesus' last words to his disciples, uh, and he told his disciples to go into all the world and uh, make additional disciples and baptize them in the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit. And so when we turned the page uh, into the book of Acts, the author, Luke, uh, gave us a great introduction of what this slice of the story is going to be. And he said uh, that he wrote, he wrote a volume about the life of Jesus, and this is a continuation uh, of that volume. This is volume two, uh, the story continuing of, of what the Lord is doing uh, in the lives of the early followers of Christ. And so... Uh, early on in Acts, we get the last words of Jesus in the New Testament, and he tells, he tells his disciples uh, that they're going to have an experience with the Holy Spirit, and when that happens, they will be his witnesses in Jerusalem, which is where they are at at the time, the epicenter of Jewish culture, and in Judea, which is the, kind of the broader region, uh, Samaria, which is the region beyond that, and then to the ends of the earth. And so uh, he tells them to have, to have this experience with the Holy Spirit, they're to wait in Jerusalem. And so that's exactly what they do. And uh, they are celebrating one of their annual holidays, uh, the, the Feast of Pentecost. And uh, they uh, begin to experience this wind uh, come on them. And the scripture tells us something like tongues of fire is resting on them. And in that moment, uh, the, the Spirit of God comes upon them and they begin to speak in different languages, languages that they've never spoken, languages that they've never learned. And there are all these people in Jerusalem uh, from outside the city to celebrate this holiday. And they're speaking in languages and dialects uh, that are understood by these foreigners from outside the city. And yet there are other bystanders that say, uh, these people speaking all these crazy languages, uh, they're just intoxicated. And so Peter, one of the disciples, Peter, uses this as, a, uses this as an opportunity uh, to proclaim the message of salvation through Jesus Christ. And uh, we begin to hear about uh, this harmony and unity among these people who have based their lives on the reality of Jesus. Uh, and so the next thing we read uh, is that two disciples, Peter and John, uh, go into the temple, they're headed to the temple, and they heal a man uh, who's 38 years old and has never been able to walk. And again, they use this as an opportunity uh, to share the message of salvation through Jesus. And the scripture tells us that people are responding to this message. People are joining this early church. And so for the next few chapters uh, of scripture, what we hear about is harmony and unity and these people meeting together, eating together, praying, worshiping, giving of their personal property. Uh, but we also hear of a lot of conflict uh, and conflict that comes both internally uh, from within the body uh, and externally from, from outside this group of believers. And so internally, they've got to deal with people uh, that, are, that are lying and deceitful about their practice of faith. Um, and they've also got to deal with people from different backgrounds, different ethnic backgrounds, uh, being treated worse than people from other backgrounds. And so they've got to navigate these issues internally uh, among themselves. Um, but they've also got some external threats as well. And so uh, like I said, Jerusalem is the epicenter of Jewish culture, and so you've got these Jewish leaders uh, that are observing this movement of Christ followers, and it's something that they can't control. There are miracles that are happening. Uh, they're preaching in the name of Jesus, and uh, so the Jewish leaders are threatening them. They're arresting them. They're beating them, and that all culminates in, 
and what we studied last week uh, with the murder of Stephen. And so for these first seven chapters, all of this witness has been in Jerusalem, uh, just like Jesus said it would in those first few verses of of the book. Uh, But as Stephen gets murdered, that will effectively take this witness outside Jerusalem. And that's where we're going to pick up next week. Uh, as, as they go and they move into the broader region of Judea, as it's no longer safe uh, to practice the worship of Jesus in Jerusalem. And so, uh, as we've asked questions about the power of the Holy Spirit, we've seen the, the Holy Spirit at work in the body. Uh, we've asked questions about the Holy Spirit. We've asked questions uh, about the harmony of the believers. We've asked questions about the conflict. Uh, what we have to see is uh, something different than what we sometimes sometimes see at first glance. A lot of times what we see at first glance uh, is just the harmony and the unity, and it feels like this uh, very strong uh, Christian paradise where there are no problems and everybody gets along, and, and we sit there and we just scratch our heads and think, well, why is that not our reality? Why is that not my reality? And, and the first thing I think we have to realize is that we are probably closer uh, to to that first Christian church then we sometimes realize um, that God is at work in our midst. And, and the other thing that we really have to, we have to acknowledge is that uh, throughout the entire story, uh, these people are just as human as we are. So sometimes we look at them as, as kind of Christian superheroes. We see the unity. We see the miracles. Um, but, but there's a lot of conflict as well. And, and as soon as we start to feel like uh, they've got something that we don't have, you know, they were exposed to Jesus or exposed to people who are exposed to Jesus and we just don't have that, they're the first to tell us uh, that they're nothing special. Uh, they, they acknowledge to us that it's not their power, it's not their holiness, uh, it is the work of God and the Holy Spirit in their midst. And all they're doing is acknowledging what they've experienced uh, through Jesus, what they've seen and observed, and they say that we can't be silent about that. And so we've got a really unique opportunity this morning to hear some of those testimonies. And so uh, I get to introduce Josh Parsley, and Josh is one of our missionaries, uh, and he and his family serve in Ecuador. And so he is going to come up here and tell you what God is doing uh, in, in his community. Thanks, Ryan. I always want to start off just saying thank you uh, to you guys. Thank you to the mission team. I thought you guys did a great job while we were on the field. You know, when you're out in a different country, you never know how the connection, how the communication is going to be, and you guys have done a great job. So I want to start just by saying thank you. Also, thanks to the teaching team for letting me hang out with you guys for the last couple weeks. It's been good, giving me a spot to share. What I'd like to do is kind of give a general overview of what's going on in, in our part of Ecuador, in the very southernmost part, uh, but then give us a specific testimony and how it relates to the book of Acts and some of the themes you guys have been, have been touching on. Uh, we've been back now for uh, several months in the United States. God has been so faithful and kind to us to help us regroup, to recoup in so many different areas and um, reconnect with the small group that we're a part of, the fosters here and you guys also, um, we've been able to get more tools to be able to go back, and we feel like, I feel like we're, we, we feel in a much, much better situation, able to go back to Ecuador and use some of the tools that God has given us here. Basically, what's lacking for us to be able to go back, and our plan is to go back in around 10 weeks or so, is that we're looking for 25 families or individuals to partner at about $100 a month, and that would give us everything that we need to be able to return to Ecuador in that time. So, so what's the general overview? What's going on? 
Well, it's really interesting because the, the first uh, missionaries that came with the message that were saved by grace through faith, they arrived in the mid-70s in Loja. And we're in the very southernmost part. Uh, I think we have a map. There we go. We're at the very southernmost tip. Peru is all around us there. And in the mid-70s was the first time someone came with that message that we're saved, just a simple message of we're saved by grace through faith and that the Bible's our authority. So really the, the church is, is pretty new there. It's really hard to find a second or third generation Christian. It's basically non-existent. There's only a few families that actually have that uh, in Ecuador. And so um, the three ways that we're responding to, to the need that's there um, is one in leadership development. The other is in, <clears throat> excuse me, in the area of we're just a, a normal member of a part of a, of a church there. And then the third is with the radio ministry. And some of you that have been following along with our newsletters, you've heard us talk about ESSE and that three-year leadership program that's there. What we're doing now, we're, we're working to expand it throughout the country. It started only in Loja. Now we're working in Guayaquil. We're moving through other parts, uh, moving online also. That's a big step that we've just started this year, getting some infrastructure ready for that. And uh, that, that's a, it's going to be a big thing because pastors are wanting more leaders. They're wanting more equipping, but also we're working to get it certified before the government so the government won't give them problems as far as do you have uh, what's needed to be a pastor. The government's kind of pushing in that way, and they're going to need some kind of credentials or they may have problems in the future. So that's what we're doing in, as far as in ESSE. Uh, the other area that we're working is with, our, with the church we're a part of called Principe de Paz, and I'm going to share a testimony of them in just a moment. And they are planting a church in another area about four hours away. It all started from a single, uh, single mom named Maria Anita. And the church plan has been moving quite a bit. It's, we've been, first, we started just visiting house to house, just making contacts, slowly bringing them together. But lately, it's really been slowing down. And that's just because there's not enough uh, workers inside of the Church of Loja that are willing to make the, make the travel. It's about a four-hour four hour distance in vehicle there and then four hours back. So it's really hard for them. So that's definitely something you can pray. They've asked me to, uh, to take on part of that responsibility to work with that team. So the, the one that was there working is now in a different part of Ecuador. So that's kind of a gap that's there. So please pray for them. It's, like I said, it's slowing down where they're not able to go as much. Um, and then also just our team, a lot of things have changed and they're waiting for us to, to be able to return. We have a new director there and new initiatives that we're thinking uh, about, about starting. But I don't want to spend most of my time there. I want to focus on one specific testimony from our church in Loja. What's really interesting is that the, the church that's now called Principe de Paz, or Prince of Peace, started off as a church called the Good Shepherd. But what's really interesting is that it started... Uh, Spanish is the majority language there. Most everyone in Ecuador speaks Spanish, and in our area, nearly everyone does. But... There were two ladies who began to pray. And nine, almost nine years ago, uh, a month back, nine years from before that, these two ladies here were praying and asking God, please start a church, a Quechua-speaking church. Not Spanish, but Quechua. Um, that's another a small language there that, that, that people speak, but not as many. So they were praying, they were asking God, please provide a church with a Quechua-speaking pastor, and so this community. And the community there is actually very small of Quechua speakers. So they begin to pray, and from these two ladies praying, uh, the church begins to grow. 
when people begin to come, a pastor comes from another part of Ecuador that speaks Quechua, and he's there for a while. Things begin to happen, and he needs to go back uh, to the city that he's from in a different part of Ecuador. So they begin to pray and say, God, what are we going to do? We feel like we need someone to come and be a part of the teaching to help us grow in this area. And there's no one, they didn't feel like there was anyone inside the congregation that had the capacity to do that. So they begin to pray. As they begin to look at, invite other pastors to come, other, other people uh, to, to help minister to them, they ran into the situation where the one they felt like God was, that had brought to them, didn't speak Quechua. He only spoke Spanish. So he comes, they begin to talk with him, and they think, okay, this is, this is who we feel like God has led to us. But what are we going to do? We're a Quechua-speaking church. Uh, the Bible we open up is in Quechua. The songs that we sing is in Quechua. Everything that they did, literally, as a whole church life, was in Quechua. But they had this dilemma. God is pre- they feel like God has given them someone, my pastor friend Jimmy. But what are they going to do? He doesn't speak Quechua. So they sit down and they think, okay... We have an option. We can just say we can't find anyone to be the pastor or anyone that can help in this role of teaching. Or we can literally change the complete language of the church. And that's what they did. It was a huge thing to go from, I mean, imagine, I don't know if you've ever been in this situation before, where you've had, been in a church where they're, they're, they change maybe the music or maybe the version of the Bible that they prefer to preach from, something like that. Imagine changing the whole language of the church. It was a huge thing. People left the church, actually. They got frustrated because they felt like their identity was being taken away from them. One of my friends, Jose Lo, who was a leader uh, in the church at that time, he was talking uh, with a group of them and just say, look, guys, all of us that are here, that are in this room, we speak Quechua. That's kind of our, that's our first language. But we also speak Spanish fluently. We did all of our schooling in Spanish. Most of our daily life is in Spanish. It's not going to be a big deal for us to go from Quechua to Spanish. And also, if we do that, we're going to reach more people. Because in Loja, I don't know what the percentage is. I would guess probably 97% of the people only speak Spanish. Very few in our, in our city speak other languages. So they did. They changed. They, they moved, or they weren't using the Quechua Bible. They moved to a Spanish Bible. Uh, they decided not to sing as much. They still do some in Quechua. And move it all to Spanish. And so it kind of gives you the, the theme that maybe that we looked at in the book of Acts with the Hellenists and the Hebrews, where you have these different languages, kind of different cultures and the tensions, but how are we going to bring them together? You know, if they, they've been put into the same body, the same church, you've got to work with that. And that's what they did there. I think the testimony really goes both ways. Uh, my, my friend Jimmy, he was willing to go into a church thinking, okay, all, every, when I go to this church, I'm going to preach in Spanish because I don't speak Quechua, but everything they're going to do is in Quechua, and, I, and he didn't understand it. So he was willing to go to people group, a different people group, although they were from the same country, born in the same place, and, and be stretched and go in that way. So the testimony is for him too. He was willing to go to someone that's different from him, but also for the church. The church was willing to, like I said, they changed their name, they changed everything about them, their whole identity, because they feel like that's who God had led them, uh, had brought together into the church. So I think there's a lot of things we can learn from them and be encouraged uh, by looking and see what is their people group around us that we could be closer to. It doesn't matter if they speak the same language or don't speak the same language. Are we willing to, to stretch ourselves and go? And also as a church, would we be willing to, to make a radical change if, if it was for the, the kingdom of God uh, to be brought more into this area? 
And so with that, I just want to say thank you. If you want to know more about what's going on in Ecuador, uh, come find me after the service. I'd like to buy you a cup of coffee. We can go grab a bite to eat. And yeah, there's a picture of the church. Sorry. This is where the church is now. So it started from two ladies, and then it began to grow. And now the, the, only, there's only a few of them that actually speak Quechua that are there now. Most of it has changed to where they're only Spanish speakers. But it's all because of them willing to, uh, to open and to adjust. So like I said, yeah, if you want to know more, come find me after the service. We'll grab a bite to eat, grab a cup of coffee, and I can, yeah, we can share some more testimonies of what God is doing there. But with that, I want to invite uh, Teresa. I think she's going to share a story, too, uh, with us. So thank you. Hello, my name is Teresa Cornett. I am the leader of the Connections team here at Grace. Our friend Abwe was going to share with us this morning a testimony about how the Spirit has been active and alive in the life of their family's home church in the Niaragusu refugee camp in Tanzania. But he is sick today, so I'm going to attempt to share with you what he has told me. I can guarantee my delivery will not be as eloquent or heartfelt as his, but I will do my best to share some of the key events he shared with me. Just a little background on the Niaragusu refugee camp. Last year's report says there were about 153,000 people in the camp. 55% of those people are Congolese. About 45% of them are Burundi. 2,026 of the refugees departed in 2018, and about 90% of those came to the United States. The camp is made up of 12 zones, and in those zones are smaller villages. Abwe was the pastor of a small church when they left the camp a year ago, May. Shortly after arriving here, he shared a dream with us that he had about making improvements to their worship building and for purchasing musical instruments, and you all generously gave, and they were able to accomplish those goals. In the meantime, as Abwe has worshipped with us, gone through Discovering Grace, and attended the teaching team that meets weekly, he has shared some new ideas with his home church, such as including more people in a leadership team and opening the communion table. Their leadership has been very eager to learn from us and our church experience, as we've been able to learn from them. Some of what has happened since might sound familiar. Many were excited. The Congolese church seemed to be afresh with the spirit, and people were being added to their numbers each week. The leaders thought they might have to add on to their building. Out of the blue, a church family of about 100 Burundi people asked to be a part of the Congolese church. This ask was met with several responses. How exciting! This is like the first church where people of different backgrounds are able to worship together and love each other in spite of their differences. What is it they want from us? What are their real motives? Wait a second. They don't speak the same language as us. Transportation is going to be an issue. Even though they were initially excited about being here, having to walk from Zone 11 to Zone 9 is a little bit of a drag. For now, as I understand it, the latest plan is to help the Burundi people build a small worship center in their zone and to help them form a leadership team. And one of the leaders didn't like the idea of an open communion table, and so he and the church treasurer left and took a few things with them on the way out. 
As we strive to be the church, to go and make disciples, to worship the one true God together, to share of our time, talents, and resources, to be the hands and feet of Christ in the world, to be life-giving instead of life-taking, it has been and will be hard. I was talking about this church situation with Jeremiah, another Congolese friend. And in the discussion, I shared that in America, we will say, they have baggage. And explain that that idiom means that we have things we carry with us that inform the way we respond and behave and live. I wish you could have seen his reaction. This is just one reason I love hanging out with people from other places. He was in tears laughing over this expression and thinking about all of us holding our little suitcases full of our hang-ups and such. Knowing this about ourselves doesn't mean that we give up. Every day we must give up our human nature to be grudge holders, to be suspicious, to doubt, to worry, and to instead put on the cloak of Christ. We are to be people of hope and joy. We are living portraits of the kingdom of God. We can't forget what Christ has done for us and to offer that same grace and life to others. Galatians 5.13 says, You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out, or you will be destroyed by each other. So I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit, and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh. If you'd like to know more about ministry in the camp, serving on a co-sponsor team to welcome a new refugee family here in Arkansas, or if you're concerned about what we can do to help with the hurting at our own borders, contact me. I can help you get connected with others who are serving in these areas.